The Lord's city is in the holy hills. The Lord loves the gates of Zion the more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. People say wonderful things about you, O city of God. I mentioned Rahab and Babylon to my followers. Here are Philistia and Tyre along with Ethiopia. It is said of them, the one was born there. This one was born there. But it is said of Zion's residents, each one of these was born in her, and the sovereign one makes her secure. The Lord writes in the census book of the nations, this one was born there. As for the singers, as well as for the pipers, all of them sing within your walls. God, you may be seated. The kids are invited to Kids Church with Emily this morning, and This one was born in Zion. This one was born in her, and the Most High will establish himself. This one was born in Zion. Three references to birth in this short psalm this morning. This one was born here. This one was born here. This one was born here. This morning we... Um, uh, continue our journey through the Psalms. Uh, this this morning, Psalm 87. Chris read it for us from the message, and Brian read it from us from the NIV. And it reminded me that when I do that, I need to note to the readers that we are reading it twice so we don't get confused. Um, um, but I, I was joking with somebody before the service that I was like, I'm, I'm excited to be in the Psalm, but I'm pretty sure it's nobody's favorite Psalm. Um, it's very short, and it's very um, scattered in some ways. It's got that birth center, but it's got this um, sort of uh, thematic quality to it that other than that, it's hard to get into. Um, and one of the reasons I think um, it's good for us to hear is because it has that notion of joy within it. Both um, what Jonathan read to us from the John reading and both this psalm— um, we like to be Christians, or some of us, I guess I should say, myself, like to be Christians with dignity. Um, uh, I don't need to get uh, all riled up and shout for joy and watch everybody flowing into the city of God. I will quietly play, pray in the corner. Or with Nicodemus, you know, this idea of being born again. Now, David brought up before the service, because the book that we're using to guide us, Earth and Altar, from Eugene Peterson, was written, I think, in 1985. Is that right, David? Um, and David was bringing up that there's these cultural connections there, and I think in a nice way he was saying, you wouldn't get. Um, um, and I was like, yeah, because I'm young and you're old. But then, And then we fought, and now we're here. Um, but... Uh, this idea of being born again, if I remember correctly, in, in the 1980s was sort of like this, are you one of those born-again Christians? 
Um, that there was this, and the, the type of um, mainline Christianity uh, I grew up in might have had a little bit of pride of being like, no. Um, and yet, as, as I grew up, I was like, when people ask me that, and it's been a while since that, that movement has kind of faded, but um, uh, there is no other kind of Christian than the born-again Christian. Um, we all have to enter into that space. And so, you know, if asked today, I would say, I think I know what you're asking. Probably not. But technically, yes. Um, uh, if to be a Christian means to be born again. And again, that challenge of, of sort of dignity comes with that, you know, is that like, do I really want to say that I was one at a certain age, whatever age it might be for you, that I was reborn again? Not born of my own ingenuity, but born of spirit and of water, as Jesus says. That I was one born in this different place. I mean, in some sense, uh, the challenge with that is to become a child again, which incidentally is one of the other things Jesus teaches, is that to become like children to receive this kingdom. No thanks, I'm good. Um, uh, and yet there's this way in which we're called into those places of this, of this sort of joy in the psalm or in this notion um, that's connected to the psalm, that's why uh, John 3 is with it, is this idea of being born again, of being brought into life in a different way. And I think, you know, the way the world captured it in the 80s, our, but our resistance to it too is similar to Nicodemus's. How can this be? Um, how is this going to happen? Um, and whether we ask that question um, with interest in that it might be true, which I think it's always kind of asked that way, but also within scorn of how is that even possible, those two motions sort, sort of often mixed with that question, um, Jesus answers that this is the way in which we are to receive this kingdom, to enter into this life, to walk into that space again. Or in the Psalms language, this one was born in Zion. This one was born. This one was born in Zion. Um, and like I said, it's not exactly um, a clean psalm. I was joking with David before the services. Is I, if I read, uh, let's say, seven different commentaries on the psalms, First off, all of them um, note that the Hebrew is very awkward and that you have to kind of relink it to make it make sense. To which one commentator wrote, basically the meaning is what, uh, the meaning is all lost to us. So I was like, great, that's what I get to preach this Sunday. Is the meaning is all lost to us. Just kind of the, the nihilist message that we want today. Anyways, um, uh, we have this way in which this psalm sort of though places us at these gates of Jerusalem in this time of joy, of this time of entering into this place, and of this time in which um, you see life bursting into a world bent on death. And birth has this way of being this thin space between that. I mean, um, the Hebrews uh, in many ancient cultures have... Um, uh, odd associations both around birth but the the things that lead to it too and that and that these sort of things create these sort of thin spaces for us they create life in a world that so often if you look at it seems bent on death one of the challenges i think we have in the modern world is that we've so segregated death away from our our purview our vision that we can forget that um 
so that life seems like the natural course of things. But if we were really to um, open our eyes to the way in which world history was shaped, but certainly the way in which most of the world t- lives today, but also in the ways in which we are blind to it. Um, we have homes for the dying that we rarely visit or go to. Um, these, nis- these news come uh, more as interruptions in the world. They're, they're foreign to us. And yet, for most of the world, um, death would have seemed more normative than it is. It inter- inter- our food system is somewhat connected to this. Um, we never see the cow before it's slaughtered. We never see the chicken before it is. And then we never see um, uh, what other things eat. <laughs> um, I, one of my favorite parts of the Planet Earth documentary was when one animal would hunt another animal. Because it's so distant and foreign, there was kind of an excitement to it. But looking back, um, or at least considering it again, um, that scene is bound up in death, too. One thing had to consume another thing. And so birth, in the words of the psalm, um, comes as this interruption, as this excitement, as something different. This one was born in her. This one was born. This one was born. Um, And we have those ways. One of the things that I quickly wanted to touch on today is that Zion is the city of God. Now, St. Augustine, writing in the 400s, when Rome is sacked by the Vithagos, um, writes his magnum opus, or one of his magnum opuses, classically he's considered to have three, uh, his book on the Trinity, his Confessions, and the City of God. He takes the City of God from this psalm, the City of God, and what Augustine does is he contrasts the city of man, this, and he never calls it that, that's more colloquial what we get, but the earthly city is what he calls it, with the City of God. And what the people were saying at the time is the reason that Rome fell was because of the Christians. The Christians had betrayed their gods, and that was why Rome fell. But uh, Augustine raises the question that Rome was successful because of the Christian God. And that the earthly city, when it falls, doesn't mean that the heavenly city has fallen as well. And what he notes for the Christian, and this is what's noted in this psalm, is that our primary citizenship is not a citizen of the earthly city, the city of man, but the Christian locates themselves on a different plane in the city of God. Almost as if rebirth locates us from this timeline to a different timeline, from one city to another one. This one was born in Zion. What Augustine sees happening through the city of God or what God is orchestrating in history is his hand of providence and care in guiding us through it. His argument is for the way in which the city of God is eternal and lasting, but the city of man is temporal. Raises interesting questions in connection to this psalm because there's a bit of the notion in which if you're tracing the psalms about Zion throughout the, the Psalter, the book of Psalms, there's some sense in which Zion might be destroyed at this point. So the psalmist is preserving the vision of an, of an eternal city. A city that comes from beyond. He's, he's in some sense seen from the eyes of faith that someday people will come into this city. And what we marked by God is not that they were born among God's enemies, um, which is what uh, Rahab, Egypt, Babylon, and all these other places are, but what we noted by God was that they, as they were registered, were born in it. That those who acknowledge the Lord are no longer born in their earthly cities, 
but are born in the heavenly city of Zion. And we find this, too, throughout the New Testament. One, this is the city in which Jesus weeps over, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Um, Jesus weeps, as, and he says that I would long to um, shelter you under my wings as a mother uh, hen shelters her chicks. Jesus has a particular care for this city. It is the city of, of revelation in some ways. It's the city in which God's action is seen as the city of the temple, um, of holiness in that way, which is odd. I, I noted last week, um, uh, I keep saying Everett Fox, but it was um, Robert Altler in his translation of the Psalms. He makes a note that this city is a small city surrounded by enemies, almost always prone to getting overthrown. And it is this in which, which Israel and which Christians, because of the book of Revelation and other places, place our hope as that eternal kind of city. This one? <laughs> Um, you would pick bigger and grander cities if it were us. I was thinking of this week as I thought of through that is that God um, picks the weak things to shame the strong. Um, Zion was always not, Jerusalem was always not um, amongst the weakest, but it was always one of the smaller um, uh, forgotten places of empire in this world. And even in our own book, the one that contains the history of this marvelous city, Timeline-wise, it's overcome and overruled for a majority of it, um, in disarray for other parts. It's not even preserved in the holy book that we have as being the eternal city in the present, but as a sign of that one that is to come. It's this one that we see, but in a mere dimly, but then we shall see face to face, that we have this way of, of, of seeing the city that is below is, this is what St. Augustine will say, but its form is the one above, this one that we are continually working and aiming towards. And so this psalm, I, I'll put it up here for when we walk through it. This is, I think, from the NLT. Um, like I said, the translations, you'll find great variance in the translations of this psalm because of the words missing. Um, and translators feel the need to make meaning of it. Um, bless them. Um, uh, but it begins with this sort of um, notion at the beginning, on the holy mountain stands the city founded by the Lord. The holy mountain stands the city founded by the Lord. It's an odd way to begin because he's not beginning with the name of the city. He's not beginning with the place, but he's beginning sort of in awe of it, stands the city that is founded by God. And Eugene Peterson's title for this chapter as he's going through this sort of unselfing of America is what he calls his book, is Unself-Made. Again, in the 1980s, there was this notion of the self-made man, which is still popular today. We don't use the phrase self-made man as much as we used to, but it takes various different forms of the ways in which I would like to be self-made. Peterson wants to say that the beginning of this sort of journey in which we walk through this earth and alter psalms is that we are unself-made. The city of the Lord is not founded by um, man. It's not founded by discovery of the new world. It's not founded by your own individual. Uh, yes, see? We complete each other's sentences. Um, uh, sandwiches, yes. Um, uh, it's founded in the Lord. Um, Again, this is one of, I think, uh, the core themes of what I often say in my preaching is that we are coming to something outside of ourselves. 
So much spirituality today is interior to ourselves, and so much of our own self-understanding because of the modern world we live in is regulated within our own bodies, within our own minds, within our own selves. And yet this birth, this being called out, this coming to the city, is that there's something outside of us. We become unself-made. Now, in the process of becoming self-made, I think there's moments, oftentimes lots of moments, where that can be received as good news. It can sound scary. by jeopardizing my dignity by becoming made by something else? Or am I becoming unself-made? Something else has made and guided me. It is in that I live and move and have my being. Is that received as good news? Incidentally, this week I was talking to a friend who's going to start preaching through the creed, um, and I was thinking of the Rich Mullins song. Um, I did not make it, but it is making me. It is the invention of God, not the invention of any man. Um, we proclaim that creed every Sunday. We did not make it, but it is making us. And because Mullins is Catholic, he can say it's, it's the invention of God, not the invention of any man. Um, the history, we could say, is guided by the Spirit of God, let's put it that way, um, uh, through tradition and such. But, but that this thing is, comes from someplace else. And, and then what, what the psalmist proclaims is he loves the city of Jerusalem more than any other city in Israel. It doesn't say he doesn't love the other cities. But it does say that this one is the center at which God sort of moves and has his revelation and makes himself known. This is the place of temple. He loves this city. And that's, um, again, un, <laughs> unself-made and, and um, dignity. Um, is, is God, should God really love city. Um, I think sometimes I'm temptation, tempt, tempted to worry about that, and yet here it's proclaimed that this is the city that God loves. This is the one in which God, in some sense, has re- revealed himself and made himself known. And we see this, again, with the Psalms or any part of the Old Testament, we have this future that this is the city in which Christ will rise and be crucified. Um, but in the moment, it's also the city in which God has set his people in. This is the center of their religious life in which they come to. Um, o city of God, what glorious things are said of you. The city of God, what glories are said of you. The quote on the back of the bulletin is, um, uh, and it connected the whole psalm, but uh, only lovers praise. Um, Uh, this notion in which when we come to the things in which we love, our souls are prompted toward praise and singing. We we open up in that way, and something beyond us sort of moves in that way too, is that um, one of the reasons many people uh, had for this psalm sort of being disjointed had to do with that, is that this is somebody who's witnessing and being roused to praise. And it often isn't that when we are singing out in praise of the object before us, which is a mystery or which is beautiful or which we contemplate, we also um, sometimes lose our uh, clarity in speaking. Um, We become mumbled. Um, Or if you've seen any Disney movie where one character meets the other character who it has a crush on, it just fumbles over its words. 
Um, again, I prefer my dignity um, than being known in that way. And yet here, this is what the psalm says, his glories are said among you. And what the um, um, NLT does is sort of breaks these, in, in some translations you'll see uh, Selah into, into these interludes, that this next thing comes that makes up sort of the middle of this psalm. I will count Egypt and Babylon among those who know me and Philistia and Tyre and even distant Ethiopia. They have become citizens of Jerusalem. What happens here, uh, that's the, um, the NLT, which I think is trying to re re uh, retain its dignity a little bit. Um, this is, uh, yeah, uh, I will, and I will acknowledge those. This one was born in Zion. So in the NLT, you'll see, um, or different translations, like I said, you'll see that the, the less birth language in this one, we'll stick with this one, but they set up the interlude, helpfully, in the NLT, um, that this one was born in Zion, um, that these people spread out throughout the world, those who acknowledge God as such, who see him throughout the uh, various spots in which is not Israel, what will be said of them is that they were born in Zion. I have a friend uh, who's a pastor in Texas who was born in Louisiana but raised in Texas. And one of the things that I would do to get under his skin, because I'm not a good friend in some ways, is I would say, oh, Cabe here is born in Louisiana. And he meant he was a Texan. He was a Texan through and through. He went to UT. Um, he lived his whole life in Texas. And what he would have traded to be able to say, I was born in Texas, and despite the fact that he unwisely told me he was born in Louisiana, and I never let it go. Um, stopped talking years ago. No, I'm kidding. Um, we still talk. But um, this a notion of which these people were dispersed throughout the empire, living among the enemies of God. Rahab, as David and I were talking about before this, is a stand-in for Egypt, which you'll see in some translations that actually just says Egypt instead of Rahab. Um, uh, I will record among those who acknowledge me that they were born in the holy city. And with this passage, it's important to always keep in mind that John 3.16 saying that we read, that unless one is born again, born from above, not from below, we're born into the holy city of Zion, this eternal city which God has set up. Indeed of it, indeed of Zion, it will be said, this one and that one were born in her. What's amazing about this is um, many of the Christian commentators struggled to, to say that anybody who believes now is born in this city. But it was uh, the Jewish commentator Michael Dehoud who said that she, Jerusalem, is, is the birth of all who believe. She's the mother of all who believe, is what he said. Um, that she is the one in which all are born who believe. Um, the Christians trying to keep distance from John 3.16, the Jewish scholar not reading John 3.16, although certainly being familiar with it, just saying that this is clearly where these people are born. And the Most High God himself will establish her. The Lord will write in his registers of people, if you hear the book of life here, you're not alone, that this one was born in Zion. What is true of you or I and wherever we were born or whatever consequences of life may have befallen us, in some sense what the psalmist is seeing and proclaiming is that what's true to God, what's written about us to God, is that we were born in the holy city, that we have placement within there. 
Again, dignity-wise, my life hasn't been that bad. Um, but you could imagine the good news this could come as to people born into difficult and trying and tiring circumstances, both today. I was born into a household of addiction. I was born into a household of violence. I was born in this context into places of exile where we did not know the Lord our God. And what God sees among that, what he writes about us, about you, about me among that, is that this one was not born in whatever earthly city that was falling in disrepair around them, but was born in the eternal city of Zion. Not only that, I do think that there's this way in which in the ancient Near East, to be born, to have citizenship in a place, is to say that even if you go about your life and live as one not born in Zion, that's still your home. It's still the story and the people at which you belong to. And so as I or any of us have gone into places in life where we said, I would rather be self-made, my own destruction, my own addictions, my own comforts, my own glory, um, uh, which is its own challenge. What's still written about me is not that I built that or made this or became this thing, but I was one born in the place in which God had placed me, which was in Zion. I'd received a birth from above. One thing I want to note here is this passage from Peterson about Jews that that I think really struck with me is that uh, the Hebrews were not an aggressively proselytizing people, but they were an intensely serious people. One of the things about this quote is he says the Hebrews. <laughs> what I wish he would say is of the Christians this sort of thing. The Hebrews were not an aggressively proselytizing people. They were intensely serious people, serious about the meaning of life, serious about the covenant with God. They did not campaign to convert others to their way of their life, but their faith was contagious. The peoples among whom they lived were attracted by the dazzling, not uh, attracted by the dazzling intensities of their worship, and drawn into the, but drawn into the maturing pilgrimage of holiness. They left their superstitions. They left their games with spirits and divinities. They left their dull preoccupations of the self. To leave the dull preoccupations of the self because you're more intense about something else. They discovered through the witness of the Jew the reality of the God who created, who entered into suffering, who carved out a way of redemption. They believed. They became Jews. Uh, in the New Testament, these ones are often called God-fearers. They don't become Jews. They become those at the periphery of the temple because they've seen something in these people so particular and so unique that had them leave behind the temples that surround them in their world and worship something else. It was a marvelously attractive life, separated from the ways of the world, concentration of the ways of God. It never became a mass movement, which Christianity continually strives to do, even though perhaps it was not meant to be. Um, the theologian John Howard Yoder says that, Christian, that Christianity is a minority in the world is not a statistical observation, it's a theological observation. Um, that Christianity is meant, in some ways, to be a minority in the world, and that's not a statistical truth, 
It's a theological truth. It's what God's called us into in these ways. But nothing rivaled it for its intensity and its creativity and its influence. Oh, for the church to become an intensely serious people um, whose ways of life attract people from beyond. Um, there's this one way of sort of breaking up the, the, the core of the psalm too is that there's this in you, this one born in Zion, indeed of Zion would be said, this one um, that was born in her and the Most High himself will establish her, this one born in Zion in you. It sort of creates a... Um, chiastic structure, I guess you would say, where the middle becomes the point of the psalm, which is verse 5, that, that indeed of Zion, we said this one and that one were born in her. The point is, is that we become people born of this other place. Um, before we finish um, with the last line of the psalm, I do want to say that this is this heavenly city. We, we've used this in the book of Revelation series, or in the book of Job series several times, but it is this city that we await. I mean, we read about Zion, we read about this, but this is a theme that runs throughout the New Testament. I mentioned Jesus weeping over this city. Um, is, uh, Hebrews will call it enduring city, not built by human hands, that this is in some sense the city from above, is the place in which we are called and which we are going to, uh, whether we like it or not, which is... Um, then I saw a new heaven and earth for the, old, uh, for the first earth and the first heaven had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a, beautifully bride, a, beautif a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and their God. He will wipe every tears from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. This city that the psalmist proclaims, the book of Revelation points us to, is the place in which we already belong in some ways but are awaiting the future fulfillment of is the place in which there will be no more death, mourning or crying. And not only that, the tears that we have will not cease to be. I always think that's an important instruction here. But will be wiped and comforted by God. Tears still might be with us, but they are wiped and comforted by the one who brings us to this city. And Jesus will say of this, look, I am making all things new. Of the last phrase in which the singers dance is, as they make music and sing, all of my fountains are in you. I've made some fountains in my life. I've made some good ones. I've made some bad ones. I've made some ones that might be poisonous. I've made these fall fountains. But if I wanted to find life, if you want to know the source in which you can live from, the one that's not um, a sick well as the ones which we might make ourselves, all of our fountains, all of our sources, all of our being is in you this city. So much of what we do is trying to find this place in which our fountains can be our own. To say that all of our fountains are in this place um, is to one, forsake all others. It's to stay near to this one. 
but also to say that God has provided a place that is better for us to drink and come to than other places in which we might come up of our own ingenuity or human pressure or just destruction. Um, All of my fountains are found in you. Incidentally, this brings us to to the um, teaching in John's Gospel that we didn't read today, but that uh, springs of living water will flow up within you. God is one who sets these fountains as we move into this heavenly life, this born-again life, within us. And it is here, this, this is the final point of the sermon, is that it's here that we receive and hear the kingdom of God. What Jesus says to Nicodemus is no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Um, this is a new realm. Um, and that, what Peterson helpfully brings up is that this way of being is actively, um, for lack of a better word, political in the world, but not in the way that politics is always understood. Or in Augustine's phrase, the city of God is always sort of actively um, where we are going. It is the eternal city that lasts, and we have a smaller form of it, but now, that these things interrupt and interplay in our world. Um, As I said last week, When Christians are asked to do something political, the response should be praying. It's one of the only things we can do that no other agency can do. Um, You can ask other agencies to get action in other ways, but the church can pray. And not only that, the church can believe in prayer. That Jesus announces his kingdom and that we enter it through being born again, that this eternal city is coming, in the words of the book of Revelation, sets us with different possibilities to live our lives, again, with that very human word, politically, Um, but not bound by what happens in Washington, D.C., if you're American, uh, or uh, Austin, for my Texas friend. Um, uh, He would be proud to note that it used to be a country. Um, Or other places, Babylon this, but this is the one in which we were born in. This one was born in her. This one was born in her. And that opens up new places for us to be and to be unself-made but be made by God. For all of our fountains are in you. Let us pray. God, you have called us as your people to be born again, to be born anew. And in being born again, we are born in the heavenly city in which you will call us to eventually. It's a place without mourning or death, which every tear will be comforted, in which all things, as that passage ends, are being made new. God, invite us into this way of life, of finding our fountains and joy within you, of being drawn into your city and the ways and pathways in which that opens new ways of being for us. We are a people of a different plane, a different life, and a different way. And may we, as the Jews before us, become serious in that worship, serious in that prayer, and serious in our contemplation of you. We ask this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.